The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mysteries of life. This new season is brought to you by The Threshold Community, a new online collaboration between me and my dear friend, Holly Trular, where we gather with like-minded, collapse-aware people to tend the threshold in the twilight times of the world as we've known it. Together, we are going to explore collapse preparedness and attachment theory, trauma-informed practice, somatic attunement and co-regulation, animism and eco-psychology, grief and death work, ritual and ceremony, transformative justice, creativity, and play. All the things. Read all about it at thethresholdcommunity.com. Find us and follow us on Instagram at Tending the Threshold. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm so excited to be connecting with Sharon Ross, also known as Afrovivalist. I've been following Sharon on Instagram for about a year. I finally wooed her and courted her, and she is here to talk to us about her work as a preparedness consultant. Sharon's also the member of uh, two emergency response teams, the State of Oregon's Radiological Emergency Response and also the Portland Bureau of Emergency Management's Neighborhood Emergency Team. Sharon's comfortable in both urban disaster scenarios as well as wilderness survival settings. She's a huntress and she has long time experience with homesteading. Sharon's also an instructor of disaster preparedness at Saturday Academy. And I'm really thrilled and I hope I will, I will see you there. I'm going to be a participant. I hope you'll, you'll participate with me in Sharon's online event this August, 2020. It's called Decamp Outdoors, a preparedness camp for city folks. I'll let Sharon tell us more about that in her own words. So Sharon, what identities do you lead with? Identities. Well, the main identity that I lead, lead with is, is that I am a African-American woman. I stand out in the communities that I'm a part of. Um, there's not a lot of African-American women, let alone men, who are, you know, especially five years ago, attending, you know, meetups for, for prepper and survivalist groups and going hunting and, uh, you know, establishing homesteads and, you know, doing all that out of the normal city thing, city life. Um, so I think that's, that's number one is what, what I lead with is, is my, you know, sorry to say is my race, but, you know, I've got to start out with that because it's the obvious, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I was, for a long time, one of a kind in the prepper survivalist community. I believe that, you know, having been kind of a lurker in many of these communities, they're, they're not only overwhelmingly male, but overwhelmingly white, you know, and so I'm so happy to have come across Afrovivalist on Instagram and have been now kind of lurking in your orbit for about a year. So I was really excited to get to meet you. I'm curious, what were some of the influences in your life that led you on this path of becoming a survivalist and interested in prepping? Well, I moved here as a kid in, uh, to Oregon and we moved to a little town called Sam's Valley, Oregon, and our post stamp was White City. <laughs> so, so for a while there, I was just like, okay, there's, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, you, uh, my mom and dad didn't raise us to be, they're white, you're black, but then they did raise us to know that we are that different. You know, different enough where people will step out and say things to us, right? So I grew up on on 26 acres, we might as well say 46 acres, um, in this little town, Sam's Valley, Oregon. It was outside of the um, biggest city, I think was, uh, the biggest city was Medford, Oregon. (laughs) And so we were like, the one family who visited and stayed as African-Americans. 
I think there was a couple of like mixed families there, but yeah, we were the ones that people would be like, mm, those people. So to answer your question, raising in that lifestyle, because when we landed in Oregon, we were on that 26 acres, there was a one room shack. Wow. Could you know? And there was four of us and our dog in this one room shack and we built it up to a, um, it, I think it ended up, up being a three bedroom, two bath house. And um, we fenced the property, you know, we, we were, mom, my mom and dad were homesteading. Now, I didn't know that's what it was back then, but, you know, as an adult and going into this lifestyle, you know, years ago, it's like, I'll be damned. I, I was raised on a homestead, you know? Wow. Wasn't, you know, we had to, to fence the 26 acres, hated it. We had horses, chickens, rabbits, we raised pheasants and quail, um, you know, cows. We butchered our own cows, had our pigs, had a garden. You know, mom and did, dad did all of that, you know, as, a, as homesteaders. And, you know, I don't even remember too many times having to go to the grocery store. Um, we didn't have a, a milking cow. So I do recall, you know, we'd have to go to the store for, you know, hygiene products milk and the the things that we can't create on the ranch you know mm -hmm. so that's where it all started for me i then i graduated from high school there and um i haven't gone back to settle to settle down but um i've bought property in um washington state to start my own homestead wow i mean i am in awe of your parents the the determination the the strength the mental toughness the i mean the the resilience they must have had on so many levels not only is homesteading incredibly grueling work and extremely high risk in terms of um you know crop failure or you know unexpected expenses or, or those kinds of things but also as the only black family I mean, really, honestly, how afraid do you think they were for your safety at any time? Do you think that that played into some of their determination to make you guys so independent was trying to insulate you a little bit? Yeah, I don't know if I can say that for my, you know, speaking for my father, because he was a Marine. I saw him as he just had no fear at all. And he raised me as his son. So therefore, there was like, you know, I had a little bit of no fear, you know, when it came to that. I was, when I went into elementary school, you know, he had pulled me aside and tried to explain to me at six years old, you know, that everyone, because, okay, let me back up. So we landed here from Houston, Texas. My mom and dad were raised, my dad was raised in Austin, my mom was raised in Houston. So all black folks, okay? Mm -hmm. So I don't know what came over my mom and dad to just be like, eh, let's move, you know, to, and then plop us in. <laughs> to White in, Town. <laughs> in White City, you know, and in the middle of the country where your nearest neighbor is at least an acre away, um, the, the grocery store is, you know, half an hour, you know, things like that. But um, it worked out. It worked out. And, you know, we were, you know, we had to be told, even though things were said towards us and done to us, my mom and dad never, ever said, you know, things like the, 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 things like Pekka Woods or those people, or they never ever talked bad about, you know, white people because they knew we were in that environment. And my mom and dad were open to the fact that, hey, you know, we're just, we, uh, we moved out there in, in the early seventies. So, you know, it was fairly new for black folks just to be able to roam the, roam the country. Mm -hmm. with with you know without having permission from their so-called masters you know what i mean mm -hmm. so um it's just 
it, it, it's when I look back on that, I just I don't understand why they even did that. It's like why? <laughs> but I'm glad they did because I have the skills and the knowledge to be able to live through catastrophic disasters and and you know and be able to hunt for myself be able to preserve food for myself and my family and be able to to still thrive in that so mm -hmm. you know i was a 4-h kid you know, yeah, hat tip to 4 eights. I, I am amazed though, like as a teenager or maybe a young emergent adult, were you ever like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. This like, I, I'm going to the city. Like, I'm surprised that you never rebelled against it in a way. It's such hard well, work. <laughs> I kind of did as a teenager, mom and dad, you know, God bless them. But my six, 17, 16th birthday, um, the age to drive. 16? Gosh, it's been so long. <laughs> I think it was my 16th birthday. They gave me a Ford Mustang that had too much power for a 16-year-old. So, you know, that in itself was like, just like, wow, thank you, mom and dad. Um, my dad got it off of a trade because he did some, some uh, his side job outside of being, you know, uh, a... Um, outside of working for the Army Corps of Engineers, he was, um, he had his own business to go out and on the road and fix flat tires on semi trucks and stuff in the area. And um, so he was just like this person that was more into, you know, let's learn it, let's get it done, you know, and we're gonna do this. And, and it, we, we did have the family, um, discussion around the table on okay girls because me and my little sister um now we're in an all-white community and you know things are going to be said to you and just you know don't don't um don't even don't take it personal but this is just the ignorance of other people pretty much is what they said and um it was we did go through i don't know if my sister did but i being the oldest went through a lot um, through, you know, elementary, junior high, and high school, you know, I was beating up boys and because of things that they would say or try to do. And, you know, at one point my dad, I, I got in trouble and my dad said, you know, as long if you get in trouble at school and you get sent home, and if it's a case that you're protecting yourself, you're not going to get in trouble for it. Mm -hmm. You will not be grounded because I know you're out there protecting yourself. Mm. You know, and he's, he's, he was pretty much, you got to squash that. If that N word comes out, you got to squash it. You know, you got to say something, you just can't let it go. And I really do think that, you know, I was um, the first to go through the elementary, junior high in high school in the community, first African-American. And that time I got to high school, my senior year, there was a black fellow who um, came in. So there was two of us. <laughs> <laughs> there was three of us because my sister was a year behind my honey. Woo, three African-Americans, imagine that. You know, and um, so, you know, it, it's just, it was just an odd time and you know, we as African-Americans, I guess we had to go through that to get where we are now. And unfortunately, it seems like things are going backwards because people, African-American people do not lynch themselves via suicide. A hundred percent. Yeah. Anybody yeah. who thinks that a, a black person is going to hang themselves from a tree is yeah. like fucking... It's going to be rare. In, yeah. That's not, that's not, that's clearly, not somebody, no, yeah. that's not going to happen. So, yeah. I mean, that was stuff that was happening, you know, 50 years ago before I was, you know, way before I was born, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going on 56. So, you know, it's just, it's just crazy to me to see that things are, are going backwards. And we as African-Americans are at a point where we have to start thinking about truly um, thinking about ourselves and stop being selfish. You know, we're, we have not been the people to have so much hatred in another race that we have, you know, collected a, a community of people, you know, like 
the white supremacists or whatever, um, you know, to be, we hate them and that's our goal to kill them. We have not been the, those people. We, we are not that. You know, we'd rather just, you know, live together as one nation, one people without the color, or hey, just give us our space. You have some, yeah. your space, we have ours, you know, or however it may be, but we're not out there purposely going out there, hanging people from trees. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense to me now thinking even about asking you that question, like, wow, why didn't you rebel? It's because you couldn't stick your neck out because you lived in White City. You couldn't, as you were absolutely raised, it sounds like from the youngest age to just be very aware, not in a hateful way, but just of, to be very aware that, you know, you could defend yourself, but that you were in white territory and you stepping out would be, you know, would have way bigger impacts than the average white teenager rebelling or something like yes. that. Yeah. I've had bad things happen to me where they probably should have been reported to the police and we didn't report it. Right. I believe Because that. it would put such a big bullseye on us. It would be us against them, you know, or whoever, yeah. because there was still a lot of prejudiced people out there. Mm -hmm. you know, in that little small community. I mean, I made friends with, you know, with, with, with people who were raised in that, you know, black people, this, those niggers, <laughs> that, and, you know, all of this kind of talk. You're talking to one right now. I was raised, I was raised in a very racist household. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, so, I, so when you went to school, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and that is not the Rona. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank goodness. I'm glad you're actually healthy. <laughs> so, so you can attest to the fact that you may hear that within your home and around your family, during family uh, reunions or whatever conversations they may have about other races. But when you happened to go to school and there was African-Americans there, you saw it differently. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to change that within the three-year systems, you know, the elementary, junior high, and high school into, uh, with the people that we went to school with. And I can honestly say that, you know, you don't have those, those kids that I grew up with all through elementary through high school are not prejudiced people. Mm. And I would think it was, it's because me, you know, me, not just me, but the family. My family, they got to react with us. They got to do things with us. We hung out together. So it wasn't as bad as, you know, grandpa and grandma and great, great grandpa was saying about black people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So That's I amazing. Kind of reversed it. In yeah, there. for sure. You integrated the community. You integrated the school. I mean, that's a, that's a huge yeah. gift and learning opportunity for all of the white children who were raised to to not only, you know, um, live separately from black people, but to never be taught that they might be missing out, <laughs> you know, and never, like, never be taught that, like, there's, there's opportunity for growth here, you know, like, they, you know, so much of, I also live in a, a city that is essentially segregated, but I grew up in a town where indigenous and white folks, I mean, like just totally in half my school, you know, would have been indigenous or from um, South Asia or different places like that. And then I moved to the larger city where like, you know, for years here, I could go for weeks walking around town and like hardly see any person who was non-white. Whereas mm -hmm. the, it's not, overtly racist it's just totally segregated right and so right. it's taken a few decades to realize like oh i have to unlearn this because whiteness has just kind of insulated me from like half the world so that's an amazing experience that all the kids who went to school with you got to have that like changed the course of their lives i'm sure i'm curious how you experience prepper communities because you know it's kind of like <laughs> it's like a circle, right? We kind of have like crunchy granola 
type people and then they like get their own garden and then they become homesteaders and then they get guns and then they become a little bit more libertarian and then it goes to the you know right wing and then it gets more extremes and then it comes back around to liberal lefties that are tone policing each other it's like there's it's not really a linear spectrum it's more like a circle and we all just kind of come back around so how, how have you experienced like both racism and sexism in survivalist communities yeah, like, do you get first, respect? Yeah, at first when I, um, uh, about 10 years ago, when I started really, um, okay, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna go to these prepper and survivalist meetups and sit in to, to hear what they're saying and see what other people are doing. And um, it, it was, yeah, it was one of those, you know, when I, the first time I go to these meetings, it would be like, you know, everybody turns, all heads turn to me. You know that song, All Eyes on You? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> and, you know, and it, it was just, it was really, really odd. And I am so used to that, that it doesn't even face me anymore. It's like, hey, hey, y'all, how you doing? You know, I just walk in all chippery and happy, and they're like, oh, what's with her? You know? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the prepper community has, um, I haven't run into any race, racist things in the prepper community, especially, you know, the meetups and the things that I, my, that I used to go to. I don't even have time to do it anymore, but, um, but uh, I really hadn't run into that. Other than the, the blatant looks like, you know, what are you doing here? You know, but it was never something that was said to me out loud. You know what I mean? Right, right. So your life had kind of prepared you for just going there anyway, whether you I felt particularly welcomed or not. Yeah, <laughs> right. I do it all the time. I roll into little small country bunk towns and all, <laughs> you know, when people go through their little town and people will just be outside enjoying themselves, having a little picnic or whatever, eating uh eating or uh drinking their espresso outside and here i roll up and everyone's like stops what they're doing and their heads just slowly follow my van like where's she going do you have afro vivalist written on your van oh hell no okay (laughs) that's that's a target (laughs) yeah exactly so i let's get down to like brass tacks with prepping so prior to covid19 um what did you think was the most likely collapse event or disaster that you were going to encounter in your lifetime? Like, what was your kind of pet interest <laughs> that you so were actively I prepping for? It would be, you know, well, first of all, let me just say, I don't prep for one thing. I prep for everything. Uh-huh. Okay. So I have enough supplies I wanted to make sure I had enough supplies and gear to get me through whatever mother nature or man, mankind is going to throw at me. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think it was going to be a pandemic. I knew one day we would have that pandemic, but I didn't think it would be like in 2020. When I told 2020, bring it on, I was not expecting this. I figured if anything, we we would have, if we were have some kind of biological issue, it would be like some type of flu, the flu got out of control or whatever. But then, hey, here we are now. I pretty much prepared for everything. And when the Corona virus was being spoken about out of China, um, I watched these Chinese um, news channels and so I was pretty much up to speed what was happening. And me and my prepper friends were like, okay. So we, like, since January, we really started stepping up our preps even more, mm-hmm. you know, just in case, because we were following the model of China. What China does, the U.S. is probably going to do. You know, putting deadbolts on the outside of people's doors and forcing them to stay home. I knew we, as in the U.S., would probably not come to that. You know that conclusion but we were probably most likely going to be going to have to shelter in place and so when that How started you adjust your prepping like when you say we stepped up our prep like would you be willing to share kind of specifically how you needed to modify what you were doing already or like where you needed to kind of pull up yeah 
hold that thought. We're going to come right back to Sharon in less than two minutes, but now would be a good time for our uh, sponsor highlight here because uh, I had a conversation with my dear friend Holly Trular, who is also co-host with me of The Threshold Community, this season's podcast sponsor. So Sharon brought up China, and I too have been tracking COVID's emergence there since mid-January. I asked Holly, how important is it to her to know whether or not COVID was produced in a Chinese lab? And this is what she had to say. it matter to you, do you think, in terms of collapse awareness, whether or not COVID was made in a lab in China, go. No. <laughs> or 1%. Like, it matters to me in the way that it could be interesting, or I'm always a little bit interested in how power is working, right? Mm -hmm. But mostly, I would say it changes nothing of what I'm doing on the ground, how I'm connecting with people. And furthermore, either way, it's man-induced or human-induced in that yeah. we either are living, totally, we're either living too closely or in domination with animals, um, uh, animals that aren't human, um, or it was done in a lab or some mixture of the two, something, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. And so Either way, to me, it's like we live in a very unhealthy civilization that caused this. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Right? Exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> and I'm going to also be aware of my own power, rank, and privilege and how publicly having wonderings about whether or not it was developed in a lab in China has a direct impact on people of Asian heritage. And I don't need to fucking spend my time or energy contributing to that. Right. Yeah. And, and again, how does it make any difference in the way that we're going to respond? Yeah. No. It doesn't. So we need to move on. Because again, we don't have fucking time for this shit, people. That's right. <laughs> And that's what we have to say about that. To learn more about The Threshold Community, go to www.thethresholdcommunity.com. And now back to Sharon. So since it was somewhat a flu virus that we didn't, you know, kind of like a flu virus, cold, lungs, you know, uh, inflammation, um, phlegm in the throat, stuff like that, um, what we did was pretty much started stocking up on more cold medicines. Mm -hmm. You know, the cold medicines, um, the uh, anti-diarrhea medicines, mm -hmm. um, head um, uh, congestion, all of that. Yeah. And then anything else that, that is incorporated with that product, we go out and buy too. Um, so it's like, we were thinking about, you know, we're gonna have a, um, decon room so you go out and you get your eight mil plastic sheets and your duct tape and you know everything you need to seal in that room so if a family member or, or a a club member gets sick we can put them in the well not a decon room it would be the quarantine room we would put them in the quarantine room which a lot of us already had those supplies because we had a decon we had our decon supplies but it meant to go out and start buying masks right then and there we were buying masks in january and um masks and uh, disposable uh um, um disinfectant towels and things like that back in january we were like okay we need to get this before everyone just goes crazy and then everyone went crazy on toilet paper we're like, yeah hey, you're like people yeah <laughs> toilet paper Okay, you, I mean, go out, pick, pluck a leave off a tree. You know, you just don't starve. You'll be able to take a shit, but you won't be able to eat because you don't have food. We were just like, what the hell are people doing buying toilet paper? But you know, hey, to each his own. Yeah. Um, so things like that, you know, cold medicines and 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 Theraflu, Day Dayquil, you know, Nightquil. Um, uh, alpha seltzer, you know, things like that is what we were talking on masks, gloves, um, you know, all of that stuff mm -hmm. we were already doing. We started doing in January when we, when we, um, you know, saw it coming. And then in March, um, in, on, I think March 18th is when I bugged out of the city. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when they were 
starting to suggest the fact that they're going to place everyone under shelter in place order. And um, a couple of my members of my group said, yeah, you're in the city. You're the one who's got the biggest bullseye over your head. We're getting you out of there. And so now I ha still have my house in the city, but I'm bugged out in the countryside. That's wonderful. I'm so glad you had a, a good, safe place that you, that you yes, could go to. Yeah. Yes, I do. Great. So I think probably every prepper has like their very specific disaster scenario that they'd really prefer not to face, you know, like they have like their own little particular, you know, you could call it a fear, you could call it just like a, a healthy awareness of some specific scenario that they're like, of all the things that could happen, I'd really love it if that did not happen in, to me or in my lifetime. So I, I, I'd love to share this and I'll go first. So my, mine is Ebola, not because Ebola is so hard to contain because it's not, you know, it's transmitted flu through fluids. It's highly contagious, but you actually can contain it. It's just that it's the worst fucking way to die I can ever imagine. So I started getting like that I'd always been really well prepared for earthquake because, you know, Cascadia subduction mm -hmm. right on top of it, you know, um, fire bug out, those kinds of things. Tsunami for sure, because I'm on an island. But uh, hazmat, once there was like, I, I, what was it, 2016 or 17, there was like a case of Ebola in Texas. I was like, hazmat yeah. kit. So we already had like our, you know, the eight mil uh, plastic, the, the head to toe hazmat jumpsuits, the Tyvex. Yeah, Tyvex, the <laughs> the N95 masks, fortunately. Yeah. Like so we had those things. So and now I'm like a little less sheepish. In the past, I used to be like, yeah, Ebola is kind of my phobia. And people kind of be like, oh, you know, like condescendingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you're a hypochondriac or whatever. So so like I've gone first. What what Sharon though is your like kind of pet phobia or fear around collapse if you have one war Ooh, yeah civil war global war like world war. global war right yeah global war because like we nuclear? have well it can be nuclear it can be you know take over you know right now the united states is not the strongest country in the world anymore mm -hmm. and um and we have lots of enemies we have walked over so many countries with our bullshit that now we are so weak that we can possibly be taken over by another country mm -hmm. you know how do you so prepare for that you just you, you just get out of the city mm -hmm. you know and that's what i did is i bought started out buying 20 acres and now i have 100 and i'm going to have 150 by the end of the summer Mm. And um, are they contiguous or you have them strategically? Um, they're two separate lots. Okay. So, you know, 80 on one and 100, and, I mean, and um, 46 on another. Reasonably close, so. like co-located? Yes. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm, gotcha. Mm -hmm. gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, that was my thing to do is, you know, if I were to be preparing for when shit hits the fan, and that war is considered that, right? Yeah. Um, I would want to not be in the city and be out in the countryside. And so right now I'm establishing my homestead in Washington state, you know, to be ready for if I had to relocate. And it's a, it's a pretty much distance away from surrounding communities that if people start walking out of the cities, it would take them couple of days before they even get to the vicinity, let alone finding our community. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're going to hit other places that are a little, yeah. probably yeah. more um, stopped so, things. Yeah. So war is, is one. I mean, I can guess, I guess I can say since I'm, I'm preparing for anything and everything, you know, other people, you know, they prepare for EMPs and um, uh, natural disasters, you know, I'm just, com I'm combining all of that in and adding in mankind too, because yeah. mankind can be just as detrimental as mother nature can uh -huh. and, and be worse. Uh -huh. So, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. 
focused on, you know, if we have a war, I know that I'm ready, but that's, that's my fear. All those other things, you know, natural disasters, okay, we can deal with that, but we don't know what the opponent it has in mind for us when it comes to war. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and right now we've got such a weak government that our government won't be able to handle their duties on taking care of we the people. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, look at these last last hurricanes, you know? They took weeks before, you know, things would happen for people, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are still at a loss on on getting their life back together since since a disaster. So I am definitely not going to rely on my government to take care of me. I'm just going to do it myself. And that's the that's the steps that I'm going through now. And and, and it's been great because I'm learning about, you know, the EM I've been learning about the EMPs and you know, and all different other, other, you know, scenarios um, that could happen to us or to me. And, you know, I just want to make sure I'm covered in all bases. For sure. Yeah, people always laugh, you know, along with me when I say, I'm going to miss the internet when it's gone. And they think like, right? oh, that's crazy. That could never happen. And But you're describing a scenario in which that would be the first thing yes. that an enemy would want to take out is our ability to communicate, yes. right? And yes. know what's going on. And so yes. it's like, no, people, really, for real. <laughs> like, this a is lot of people who have a rude awakening coming and they're just not going to like it at all because, <laughs> you know, even during this coronavirus, people are like, yeah, I can't wait till everything gets back to normal. And I'm just like, it's not. <laughs> it's that full stop. Period. It's not. Yeah, oh, God. It's, it's so refreshing to hear you normal. say that. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, it's uh, for me, I, I think, you know, there's a lot that's been orchestrated in all of this. You know, I don't think these two countries um, did not know this was going to happen. I think you know, I'm not conspiracy theorist. Yes, I am. Um, but, you know, I think there's, I think they know more than what they were putting out. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. When it comes to the pandemic, I think the U.S. knew a little bit about it, but they didn't take it seriously. And, and, you know, now we're at this, this point, and now it's just pointing fingers. And it's like, can we just can we just get down to fixing it? Yeah, exactly. So you know, how do you play the mental game of collapse, Sharon? Like, how do you um, not succumb to despair, you know, depression, anxiety, or even, I mean, none of those words I would associate with you just from speaking with you and hearing about your upbringing, but, you know, even fatigue, you know, even leadership fatigue, you've been leading people and teaching people for a long time. And at some point it's like, for fuck's sakes, people, I've got an idea. How about you wake up and take care of yourself? Like, how do you play that mental game? They're woke now. They thought I was, you know, a lot of people thought I was crazy. I've lost friends over this because I've chosen the prepper survival lifestyle. Um, And I've been talked a lot of crap about but you know they ain't talking now they're like oh shit that crazy lady was right you know what i mean yeah Uh, so and your question was how i deal with it yeah you know i just i don't take life seriously that serious anymore to let it really really affect me um unless it's affecting me personally of course of course i'm going to take that personally but Things like this, I just have to just go with it. And when I get fatigued, I sleep, <laughs> which does not happen too often. I, you know, I just want to, if I can sleep, you know, a full eight hours, that would be great. If I can sleep 10, that's awesome. Um, but I'm one of those who's on the computer all the time. I see all the stuff that's going on and I guess I've desensitized myself to it um, to a point to not have that fear, you know, because, you know, when you're watching a video or something that's happening, like the coronavirus, you know, when you saw that, did you have a little fear come over you? 
Yeah, I was thinking about my husband yeah, or my kid yeah. getting it, right? Yeah. yeah it's like that little feeling going through your whole body of, oh my God. I was like, mm, that ain't happening. <laughs> I've got to, I've got, that ain't happening here. So, you know, I just. Okay, you know, I'm going to quote you on that. That's, that's exactly. <laughs> so, whenever I'm like, worried and thinking those like spiraling thoughts of oh my god what would i do if my husband or my child caught coronavirus i'm just gonna i'm gonna call in and invoke sharon and be like great sharon it's not happening <laughs> mother creator sharon <laughs> it's not happening it's not happening i love it so so resilient so what are you telling your students and followers to do then to prepare themselves for this new normal of living with coronavirus? Well, since a lot of the, the people who are now interested in preparing have experienced it, now they're like, oh shit, okay, now I know what you were saying. I understand now. Um, and I pretty much instruct them to just get water. Get your water first. Because he, you know, we're in the Pacific Northwest. We're going to be rolling into winter here in October, two months away from now, right? About that, three months. You know, we're going to be rolling into winter. Winters get cold, and so you know, I tell them to stock up on your water, then start stocking up on some food, then start learning some skills. You know, if you know that you're going to be have to be sheltered in place because you don't have a bug out location, then get your home, your, turn your city home into an urban homestead, okay? Start collecting the water off your roof. Start, start a garden during, you know, during the, the summer, fall, I mean, springtime. Start your garden. Um, start, designate a space to have your home pantry. And then start just utilizing, and then start getting your materials, get your hygiene stuff, get your, get your, um, your, your canned foods, you know, learn how to can, start taking classes to learn how to can preserve food, buy a dehydrator and dehydrate everything that comes out of your garden. Um, volunteer at, um, at pantries, at food pantries. Because if you volunteer at food pantries, your payment is a box of food. Take those, take that food, utilize it for whatever you need it to be by dehydrating it, storing it, whatever it is that you want to do with that product and just store it. And then make sure that when you're storing your food, it's in the appropriate containers. You know, don't take an old milk jug and put water in it for storage because for some reason milk jugs has a lot of chemicals in it, but take your, your food grade containers, you know, go out and purchase some food grade containers buckets and start utilizing those buckets and just start going bigger from there. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about DeCamp Outdoors, because this is an opportunity for people to learn online from you. So when is it, what is it, how can people participate? So DeCamp Outdoors is a preparedness camp for city folks. Over the years, you know, being Afro-Vivalists, um, city folks are like, yeah, no, why do I want to prepare? I don't need to prepare. You're crazy. You know, all of that kind of stuff, right? And I realized that a lot of city folks were in, are in denial when it comes to needing to prepare. So that's where the tagline came in, comes in, a preparedness camp for city folks. Um, DeCamp Outdoors is this year going to be an online preparedness camp. And I've invited my prepper friends, prepper associates, and anybody else who has a skill that they wanna share with someone else pertaining to their survival genre. So the camp is going to be on August 21st, Friday, August 21st through Sunday, August 23rd. And they can take, they'll sign up on the Zoom and they can take as many workshops as they want for a small dollar amount. And, you know, I have, I have workshops, um, elk basics, where a friend of mine has an elk farm and she will take you through the life of an elk. Um, I've got another person who is 
going to share her knowledge on um, cooking outdoors with a Dutch oven, solar oven, you know, things like that. Um, um, uh, survival communications, learning what you need to do to be a ham radio operator, because you know the ham radio operate the ham radio is going to be the, really the only device that's going to be used, especially you know when it comes to grid down or war. Um, I mean, it, it's just, and then me, I'm, I will be doing the preparedness, the disaster preparedness workshops, along with, um, I think I'm going to do um, prepper hygiene, teaching people how to make their own soap, how to make their own laundry detergent and things like that. So it's going to be a full spectrum of a little bit of everything. In addition to, you know, what's the survival pistol? What's the survival firearms that will be needed, you know, to survive in our survival, you know, and hunting and things like that. So it is so much that, you know, everyone need, just need to go to www.dcampoutdoors.com. That's D-E-C-A-M-P outdoors.com amazing i cannot wait and i i can think of my prepper friends that i'm like oh let's both get ham radios and let's <laughs> let's yes. take this workshop yeah totally yes. so as we're wrapping up here sharon i always ask guests the same question to close and I, you know you seem so resilient and fearless this maybe is an irrelevant question in which case you know redirect however you like but um <laughs> I mean, everybody does have um, hardship and heartbreak and, uh, you know, losses in life. And whether it's a, at the hands of a large scale, you know, collapse event or just a personal thing like bereavement or, you know, divorce, whatever it is. So I'm curious how you personally cope with emotions like grief or rage. Pray. Pray. I just pray. I pray a lot. I manifest a lot of things. And, you know, I, I just suggest, you know, for other people is to, you know, go to their good space, you know, and for me, my good space is prayer. Oh. You know, I, I go to the heavenly father and I, I just, I just pray. I pray about it. That's it's gotten me this far. Yeah. Exactly. And it seems like a go-to skill for collapse. <laughs> it's good to yeah, remind I mean, people about. A lot of people who, who aren't, you know, the people who, you know, would turn to prayer during a disaster, they will. They will definitely turn to prayer. So you might as well start practicing now. <laughs> exactly. You might as well prepare. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge, but especially just for modeling uh, resilience and positive attitude and acceptance in the face of disaster. It, it, it's a wonderful um, experience for me to be like, oh, I have this woman that I can admire because there just aren't that many in the prepper community that um, are as confident and um, taking charge as you are in, in like, oh, thank you. You know, and providing learning opportunities. It's so, so valuable. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank, Thanks for thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. You know, I, I am too busy to really get out. I mean, to be honest with you, Carmen, it's been two years since I've been hunting and it's driving me crazy. I, I haven't been able, able to get out and do the normal things, but I'm not mad at, at anybody, you know, because I understand what I'm doing is the only way that I can go about to teach others. You know, a lot of people out there are like, girl, you should have more likes or you should be doing more videos. And it's like, no, 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 I'm going to do this my way and in my time and eventually it will come out so it's not me wanting to get all these likes and you know all these youtube hits that's not important to me you know i'm looking for the people who are willing to listen and who want to prepare there's a lot of people out there who still during this coronavirus are not taking this seriously so i don't even want to deal with them you know they can do whatever like me or whatever but until you have 
come to that conclusion that this crap is serious and you want to start preparing, those are the people that I want to reach, reach out to. You know, those are the people that, that got the aha moment and said, you know what? I think we need to prepare <laughs> I feel for that. something. We don't know what it is, but we're going to do what she does and just, you know, prepare for something because I was ready, even though I was, you know, had all my gear and everything. I was ready for Corona, mm -hmm. the coronavirus. She's a wicked little bitch, but you know what? It's waking everybody up. It's waking people up to the point on, oh my gosh. And it doesn't, it, unfortunately we had to lose the death of Mr. Floyd. And, um, and now it's, we're going into civil unrest, you know? And now you're hearing police officers saying, I can't wait till the race war. And people are like, what? You know? So we're going into a whole new dimension of life. Our lives will never go back to normal because this devil has come upon us and has changed things. And so what we're seeing now in the news and everything, that's not gonna go away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And until, unless, if you do not want to be affected by it, you need to start preparing for it. Thank God for you, Sharon. I am really appreciating your, your boldness and manner of speech and approach because like we, like we don't have fucking time to piss around <laughs> with this stuff. Stop Sorry, playing. I'm like being like super intense with my language, but it's like, we just don't. Yeah, stop playing. Man. Yeah, stop yeah. playing. Wake up, America. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Come on. Wake up, people, because we don't have time for this nonsense. Yeah. You know, because all those people may be knocking on my door and I'll be like, oh, hell no. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, we'll see hopefully many of uh, our listeners at DeCamp Outdoors. I'm really looking forward to spending time with you there. Thanks so much for your time. I look forward to everyone and meeting everyone. Thank you so much. And please feel free to go to afrovivalist.com or decampoutdoors.com for the online preparedness camp. That's great. And I'll put those in the show notes as well so people can easily link from their device. All right. Yes, Thanks, thank Jane. you. Thanks, Carmen. Mm, there you have it. Get your water sorted out, then top up your food. Get some skills. Improve your shelter so you can shelter in place. And then start dehydrating everything you're going to grow in your new garden or uh, kitchen window balcony or whatever it is. Um, you know, one thing that uh, we did in the early days was uh, make a little still and start uh, making some moonshine because trade goods, you know. So if you can't grow anything in your apartment, you could potentially make beer or wine um, and trade it with all those hardworking farmers who don't have time to make their own beer and wine. So, Sharon Ross, Decamp Outdoors, it's happening August 21st to 23rd. I am going to see you there. Let's get ham radios. Let's do this. I want to thank Sharon for coming on, and I also want to do my listener shout-out today to all my listeners in Washington State. I have some wonderful, wonderful people from uh, Chimicum all the way south to Oregon, and uh, I, I love you guys. I love you. You know who you are. I love you all. Find today's show notes at numinouspodcast.com and The Threshold Community at thethresholdcommunity.com.